Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Eli. Like you said, I'm here with my wife, uh, Rebecca. Um, we're the Steiners, and we serve here on the prayer team. We get to pray for you. We get to pray with you, uh, both for the services here and for um, your needs during the week, and we get to pray for your staff as well, and we love doing that. Uh, we love to meet with you at prayer nights. We actually have a prayer night uh, this Friday, 6.30 to 8 here in this room, and that's a good opportunity for you to just sit and sink in the presence of the Lord. You don't get a lot of times to just be silent or just to, just to sink in who he is. Often our, our world is so busy that it's, sometimes it's just great to just sit here. We also, we also will offer um, prayer time. If you need individual prayer, we can do that. Uh, my hope, we've had about, we had like 15 to 20 people last time. I would love to see 30 or 40 of you um, in this room. Uh, you might recognize us. My wife is the one on the keyboard, and she uh, sings like an angel. And I am the one face down on the ground over in this corner being very quiet. <laughs> um, we moved to Colorado about two and a half years ago from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, we both went to school there. We both grew up there. We actually met in seventh grade. Um, so very young. We've been married for about three and a half years now. So uh, we uh, moved here because in my last year of school, I needed to find a pastoral residency. And so I found a church in Greeley. We moved to Greeley, and I was an adult pastor resident. It's like, it's like a year-long internship uh, while I finished my, my degree. And then Rebecca was a second-grade teacher at a school in Greeley. Fast forward two and a half years from then, and we're doing nothing near what we thought we would be doing or what we were doing. Uh, Rebecca is actually now a pilot. She is a flight instructor at a school in Greeley, so if you want to learn how to fly, she's the one. Uh, I, she gave me the controls once, and about five seconds in, I tossed them out. It's a little nerve-wracking for me. Uh, I'm thankful to be in the pilot journey, though. <laughs> um, and I actually... Uh, have the opportunity to run and manage and teach at an indoor pickleball facility called The Pickler. Um, so that's what I'm doing. We, I went from being a pastor to uh, running a pickleball facility. And that's why Jason threw out there, since I run that facility, I have little cards that are free day passes. So if you want one, come find me. I, see, I saw a ka-ching. Um, it's fun. Come check it out. I know some CSU students, you guys probably love playing pickleball. We'd love to get you in there. Uh, but <laughs> enough on that. So I, I, that's where I met Spada. Uh, he, he teaches our Wednesday mornings. I was the front desk guy for a little bit, and I got lucky enough to jump on the court with him in the morning one time, and uh, he kicked my butt. He took me down. And uh, he probably felt bad. I think he felt bad because he invited me to church <laughs> right after. <laughs> Um, right there, that's, that's good evangelism, and because of my pride, it took me about two months to, to get there and feel good about accepting the invitation. Uh, now, we were attending a different church at that time, and we felt like God was calling us to a new faith community. He was calling us to something new, um, something where we could go a little deeper, where we could step a little further into what the Lord has for us and learn more about who God is, and um, so we decided to connect with Two Rivers. I went to Andrew and said, hey, we, we'd love to try it out now, and he's like, cool, we got a, Friday night, we got a lamenting service. You want to come to that? <laughs> uh, so that was my first experience. My wife and I's first experience was your lamenting service about a year ago. I think it was about this time, and some of you are shaking your heads. It was awesome. Uh, what I love about this church, and I think you've probably recognized it, is 
there is depth here. <laughs> the presence of the Lord rests here. And your leadership leads you in a way that is not superfluous or um, fake. It's real. And so at that lamenting service, we don't just sit in the joy with you, but we also sit in the heartbreak together. Um, and, and I don't know if you know, but there are not a lot of churches that do that. There are not a lot of churches that give that opportunity to just sit in the mess, in the brokenness. And so we decided after that that we would um, continue being a part of Two Rivers. We didn't even really check out a Sunday service. We just were all in. Um, but that's how we got here. And we've loved every moment of it. Um, we're going to be in a series called Did Jesus Really Say That? I think this is another example of the pastors and the leadership you have in this church, the willingness to sit in the hard questions, to sit in the difficult moments of scripture, because there is those moments. Jesus teaches in parables and images that aren't sometimes easily understood. So that's what we're doing. We're sitting in them. I think there's two things you can do when you come upon uh, these passages. Number one, you can avoid them. Just pass them on. One of the verses today we'll get into is at the end of the chapter. I know for me it's really easy to just skip the last verse and then go into the next chapter rather than focusing on it. Um, it's easy to avoid. Thomas Jefferson, one of uh, our presidents, he took the Bible and the four Gospels and decided to make one Gospel. And instead of just taking everything in, he, what he did is he cut out the parts that he disagreed with, or the parts that he couldn't reconcile with, or anything that just didn't make sense. Basically, he took it down to Jesus being a morally good person rather than the Son of God. Um, he, he couldn't reconcile with the works of Jesus, the, the miracles of Jesus, the, the supernatural, the things that you don't see every day. He just couldn't reconcile with it, and so he avoided it. He cut it, cut it out. And the other thing we can do is we can dive in. There's two avenues. We can dive in. We can seek the Lord's face. We can seek his presence. We can seek to know him just a little bit better. Because just under the surface, there are truths that are so worthwhile to learn that if we just take a step in, Jesus is going to honor that. He's going to honor your desire to seek out the mystery of who he is. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive in to these passages. So I'm just going to give you a... I guess, what the two passages are, and then we'll dive into them individually, but I want you to know that they, they connect deeply. <laughs> they connect deeply. So the first one in Luke 5 is verse 13, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses has commanded for a proof of them. And then the next passage is verse 39, which is the last verse of the chapter. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says the old is good. So I hope you'll dive in with me. Um, I feel honored to be sharing with you. I felt like the Lord has, has nudged me in, in, in a way to share on this passage, and I hope you're willing to, to step in. I think one thing Dave, David said last week is familiarity kills wonder. Okay, familiarity kills wonder. 
Um, it's true. And we often come to these passages with familiarity and just pass along by them instead of just sitting in the living and active and breathing word of God. And so let's pray and we'll dive in. God, thank you so much for the people in this room. Everyone is supposed to be here. I thank you for your presence. We call upon you to show yourself, to show yourself in such a way that we can't help but leave and fall more and more in love with you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, what you will do, and what you mean to us. We ask that your word is just powerful, it's lit up, and that it's easy to understand that questions are good, you love them, and you want them, you want us to come to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's go to that first passage. It's going to start at verse 12, um, go down to, I think, 16. So let's see if this works. There we go. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses has commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So the way that we're going to dive in, I guess the, the model that we're going to follow is this I notice and I wonder. So I notice, we, we observe, we just make simple observations and we, we ask questions. So we'll start here. Um, so we notice the man with leprosy asks Jesus if he is willing, you can make me clean. I think it's, it's, it's good to notice that he asks him, if you are willing, you can make me clean, not can you make me clean, right? He's, he's saying, like, I know you can. And we can get into that another time, but the faith right there is, is powerful. It's palpable, right? That you can make me clean. I know you can. Are you willing? And Jesus responds saying, I am willing, so the man with leprosy is healed, and then this happens. The man is charged or given a command to be quiet about what has happened. I want to be very clear. He is not asked. He is charged. He is told to be quiet. Shh, don't tell anyone what happened. It's really intriguing, right? Why, why be quiet? So the questions that come with this, or the wonder is why would Jesus tell the man who has been healed to be quiet and tell no one? My follow-up question is, why not be bold? <laughs> why not proclaim the good of what has happened? Why not share about it? Why not testify? I think of uh, the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. <laughs> right? Be bold. Share it. What has Jesus done for you? Talk about Jesus. Don't be afraid of it. And then we see this. Great crowds gathered despite the command. Uh, actually, in the book of Mark, it says that this guy didn't even listen and just went and told everyone, right? <laughs> he did not hold back. 
And then we know that uh, Jesus withdraws to escape to a desolate place to pray. So he steps away. See, Jesus, he um, charges quietness, I think, 23 times throughout the Gospels. And now that's not 23 separate times. It's like Matthew and Luke, or they have the same account. But 23 times total, he, he charges quietness. There's a couple of that stand out to me. In Mark one thirty four, Jesus is curing diseases and taking out demons of people, casting away demons. And he's like, hey, be quiet. Like the demons are proclaiming his name and he's like, shh, don't tell anyone. Same thing in Luke 4.41. He's casting out demons and they're like literally proclaiming, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. And he's like, shh, don't, <laughs> don't tell anyone. Not yet. I'm really intrigued by that passage specifically because when I think about the very thing that is against the good of Jesus Christ, I think of demons and devils, the devil, right? And Jesus is telling the very evil thing to be quiet because he's, they're saying how good he is. <laughs> he's telling them to be quiet. And then in Matthew 9.34, Jesus heals two blind men and then he tells them to be quiet. I, something I pointed out to Jason, I have a prescription of negative 5.75. And so that means I can't even see Greg Hook right here. <laughs> I can't. Like, I can tell you're there, but I wouldn't be able to know it's you unless I already looked that way. Um, I'm the type of guy that goes to the, the glasses place, and I ask if it's uneven. And they're like, no, your prescription's just that big, so it doesn't fit the glasses. <laughs> right? <laughs> but if, some, if Jesus came up to me and he goes... <laughs> He puts it on my face, grabs some mud, puts it on my face, and all of a sudden I'm 20-20. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody, everybody. Every, and I might be that guy in Mark that Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone. I'm still, I'm still doing it. Right? I'm not holding back. Uh, in scripture or in academia, they often refer this, to this as the messianic secret or uh, the secret of the Messiah is what it's often called. Uh, and the way that I like to think about this is Jesus is not trying to hide his identity. He's not trying to hide that he is the Son of God. That is very prevalent throughout the Gospels. He proclaims that he is the Son of God. I mean, that's the reason he's taken to the cross, because they see it as blasphemy, because they, he's saying he is the Son of God. But what he understands when he tells people to be quiet is the preparedness of the people, the mindset of the people. Where are they at? What are they looking for? What do they see? What do they know? Because the people at that time, and even the disciples, didn't want Jesus to be what he meant to be. They wanted Jesus. Oh, sorry. They wanted Christ, the earthly ruler. They wanted him to rule. They wanted him to go to Rome, <laughs> take over, bring back the Holy Land. But Jesus meant to be Christ crucified. When I take a look at the, the things that he took time to say out, like be quiet about, it's often the miracles, it's often the casting out of demons. And Jesus knew they were good things, but he knew if they got out of hand and everybody in the whole world learned about it, he would no longer be able to fulfill the true purpose that he came to do. He came to set you free. He came to give you freedom and grace. He came to have his blood spilled, to die, 
to defeat death, to resurrect again and allow us to live new life. That's what he came to do. And he knew if this, if word got out too early about him, that purpose would be difficult to fulfill. He knew that the cross might not happen. He knew that that needed to happen in order for the true enemy, not Rome, not the governing bodies of this world, but the true enemy, that is the evil one, sin, to be defeated. When I think about the best example in scripture to see this perspective fighting back and forth, I go to Mark 8, I think it's 39 into 9-3, and it's this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. Uh, this is the Spark Notes version of, of that passage, but um, is Spark Notes still a thing, college kids? Yes, no? <laughs> I'm only 25, so it's only been a couple of years, but that's what I used. <laughs> uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ. See right there? He proclaims he is the Messiah. He knows he's, he's the Christ. Okay? So Jesus is like, okay, you get it. Let's go a step further. Jesus then teaches that the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, killed, and rise again. And what's Peter's response? Peter pulls Jesus to the side and rebukes him. Okay? And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the picture I love to see here is when Jesus is rebuking him right back, he actually, not just to Peter, but he turns and looks at all the disciples, right? He looks at every single one of them. And he's like, he understands in his heart that this perspective is something that is in everyone. (laughs) See, they're looking towards a Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah, but it's the Messiah that fits their agenda, that fits their desires, that fits their religion and their self-righteousness and their desires for their lives. When Jesus has come to be crucified and to be resurrected again, church, he came to set you free. And he couldn't have done that without the cross. He couldn't have done that with the way we wanted it. And I I push you, I urge you to look at your life and wonder where Jesus might say, shh, because we have to see Jesus as Christ crucified. We have to set our our mind on the things of God, not on the things of man. It is so important to see him as Christ crucified, not as an earthly ruler. We'll come back to this in a little bit because I think the, next, the two passages connect. So if you're going to jump with me in your Bible, go to verse 33. Um, in verse 33, we get our next statement. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. And he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And this is our verse. 
39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. So let's, let's notice and let's wonder, okay? So first couple things I want to note is that uh, this conversation is not necessarily uh, Pharisees going at Jesus. It's, it's a conversation, I think, around a table um, with disciples of Jesus, with disciples of uh, the Pharisees, maybe even John's disciples, or just people that are curious about a question because they see these different religious groups doing different things, okay? So here's, here's my first question. Here's my wonder. So what is fasting to Jesus? What is fasting to the disciples of the Pharisees? And what is fasting to the disciples of John the Baptist? And the next question I'll ask is, Jesus' followers do not behave the same as the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples, so why not? Why don't they? Um, the bridegroom is Jesus. I think the first few verses, Jesus does a really good job of understanding the, or proclaiming this. And the bridegroom is there with them, so there's no reason for fasting, is what he's saying. Uh, one thing that helps me see, put the contrast in comparison is seeing that the old is mentioned four times and the new is mentioned eight times. Uh, for you Bible nerds, that's, that's fun to wrap your mind around. And then verse 39 comes along, and in my mind, it seems to contra- contradict the rest of the passage. It, it goes a different way at first glance. So my question is, why the statement, the old wine is good slash better, after a parable of new wine? Why would, why would he do this? Uh, let's see. So one question we have to tackle first is the question about fasting. Uh, they, they, they go at him with this question about fasting, and he says, like, why would my people fast if I'm with them? Why would my people even think about fasting because I'm sitting there in the room? Someday, I will be gone again, and they will be fasting in order to look forward to me. And I think Jesus understands this. Fasting for him is discontentment with the present. Okay? Discontentment with the present. That basically means that, one, you're, you're hopeful for Jesus in the future. We fast today because we're hopeful for the second coming of Jesus. Like we, we look towards the second coming of Jesus. But we're also fasting in grief and loss from the past, from what has happened. So we're, we're doing that type of thing. It's discontentment with the present. The Pharisees, on the other hand, why did they fast? They fasted every Monday and Thursday. That was their rhythm. They fasted, in theory, for the nation, for the people. But as you start to look at their heart posture, and I I think this is crucial, and and Jesus understands what this parable is, he sees their heart posture. And he knows they're doing it for self-righteousness. He knows they're doing it for, like, keeping themselves above the rest, right? To have something to say, like, we are the religious elite, in a way. That's what he's trying to do. Or that's what, that's what they're doing with fasting. And John's, John's disciples, they're hardcore. Um, they're still looking for the Messiah. So they're fasting for the Messiah, even though he's sitting in the room with them. Right? And then he comes to this parable. I think, again, I think he, he comments on heart posture here. So fasting is the question, but there's something deeper there. So verse 36, 
He says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. So we know that you cannot mix, say, so you go to H&M or something, and you get a new shirt, and you realize, man, that sweater that my dad gave me or my mom gave me from when I was really young is looking really bad. And you decide to take something from the new and put it on the old. What happens is uh, the sewing, in a sense, once it takes time, it'll break apart even more and not work together. And then you have a completely destroyed new garment. And the idea here is that the old and new don't mix. They do not mix. You cannot put them together. And then he goes a little further with this wine conversation. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So again, we're this new and old, they don't mix. So new wine and old wineskins do not mix. As I was looking into why that, that happens, um, old wineskins, what happened is they're used to the old wine, so they're, they've become very like rigid. Um, and this is, this is a really good example of like the old, the old covenant. They're rigid, they're set in, in their ways, and when you pour new wine, into that old wineskin, what happens is the activity and the fermenting of the new wine, the aging of the wine, ends up destroying the old wineskin. Right? So it just, it, it, in a sense, explodes, and then the new wine is destroyed. Both are destroyed. Right? So the, the old and the new do not mix. So what Jesus is saying here, and I, I guess to point it out, the old is the old covenant, and the new is the new covenant of Jesus Christ that has given you grace and freedom. And he's saying these two do not mix. So church, when we look at this passage, we have to understand that any resemblance of the old in our hearts, any sense of the old covenant, of the rules, of the religious checkboxing, if that's still in our hearts and we try to let Jesus in, it does not work. We have to let it all One way to look at this passage is the the old wineskins, the wineskins are us. We're either an old wineskin or we're either a new wineskin. And if we're a new wineskin, Jesus coming in is beautiful and powerful and freeing. But what happens with the old wineskin is it it becomes tiring. It becomes uh, weary. It becomes difficult. Then we jump into verse 39. And this is the passage, and no one after drinking old wine wants to wants the new, for they say the old is better. For at, um, at first glance, it seems like a contradiction. But as we, as we know a little bit more about Jesus, we, we come to understand that he's not above a little irony or, I guess, prodding. Jason said prodding. So he's not against sharing it in that way. And so what he's saying to the people, what he's saying to everyone in the room around the table is that, like, yeah, if you've... You've tasted old, you're just going to stick with it. it. It tastes better. If you've ever gone to a restaurant, I'm, I'm very much this way, and you just get the same thing over and over again, right? Chicken fingers are great. 
I love chicken fingers, chicken fingers and barbecue sauce. But my wife will tell me, hey, this is, try this out. It's like, eh, it's probably not as good, right? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying to these people. It's like they're not going to try it because they're stuck in their ways and they love their rules. They love their religion. They love their self-righteousness. They love that they can ask, why aren't you fasting? <laughs> they, they love that. And he's saying, of course you wouldn't try the new if that's what you love. Uh, I went to school and, and studied the Bible. That was part of my, I guess, pathway. And, and with that, in a, in a school like that, it's like, read the Bible every day. That's kind of the prerogative. It's like, get in the Bible every day. And so what it becomes to a ministry student is sometimes you're reading the Bible for your 40-page um, paper that you have to write. Then you're trying to do it as well for your personal time. And what it becomes is this checklist. It's like, okay, did I do it today? And what happened in my heart is this huge amount of guilt, huge amount of shame for not hitting it one day, for not getting there. I remember one time, I think Rebecca remembers this, I felt bad, so bad that I started waking up at 4 a.m. just to try and get it in. And that, I was a college athlete, so that was not good. We were practicing it until midnight. And so it... it put this huge barrier for me to, to get to know Jesus in the way he wanted me to, to know. So I went, I went to this worship night one night and just really broke down and, and had people pray over me. And it's like, Lord, like, how am I supposed to get to know you in this circumstance? How am I supposed to truly know you? And he, he kind of reminded me, like, the guilt and the shame is not from me. The guilt and the shame is not from Jesus. I want you to come to me because you love me. I want, to, I want you to come to me because you want to know me and you want to seek me. And so in my heart, my, my posture changed. I got to study the Bible. I got to sit in his word because I wanted to know who, more about who Jesus was, not about what I could do. And that's, that's what helped me change. So I, here's, here's some things that helped me dis, uh, separate the old and new wine. Old wine, Religion. Uh, I spent some time studying the church, and I actually joined an atheist uh, message on Facebook and asked him, what do you think the church is? And very quickly, it's a building, it's a place you go to, it's, it's a religion, it's a thing, it's things you do. Nothing, nothing about the people, nothing about Jesus, right? So it's religion, it's rules, it's mandates, it's commandments. It's checklists. I struggled with this growing up, the idea of like you have to go to church type question. I, I really hope that, and, and I really believe that Jason and Lindsay have pastored you in a beautiful way, that you come here because you want to be here, <laughs> and it's powerful to sit in the Lord's presence and worship him. You leave church with a to-do list, pressure, shame, guilt, weariness, judgment, and then Christ the earthly ruler. So here's, here's the difference in my mind. Set of religion, it's Jesus. Okay. Instead of rules, mandates, and commandments, it's Jesus. Instead of checklists, it's Jesus. Instead of pressure, shame, guilt, weariness, judgment, what is it? Jesus. Yeah. Haha, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but it's the truth, church. It's the truth. I think some of us, we like to seek peace and we like to seek rest. But the only way to gain that is through Jesus. Don't, speak, don't seek peace, seek Jesus, and there will be peace. <laughs> don't seek freedom, 
Seek Jesus and there will be freedom. <laughs> Don't seek grace. Seek Jesus and there will be grace. Church, that's, that's what Jesus came to do. That's the new wine. That's what we have to know in our hearts, who Jesus is. This is the life verse of Two Rivers Church. John 1.16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But not from what we do, but from his fullness. From who Jesus is. Right, church? From who Jesus is. Uh, worship team, you can come on up. I want to take us into... Just a final passage that really, I think, resembles what the new wine, the new covenant is. And this is, this is the Last Supper. This is when Jesus is sitting around the, the table with his disciples talking about new, uh, what he's going to do, what's going to happen. And it says this. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to read that again. This is like, think of the cup. Think of the wine. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new doesn't come without the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not... I, I love that song. Look, we are washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are made clean by the blood of the Lamb. We are not made clean by what we do, how we fast. We are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. I was um, spending some time with the Lord before coming here today. I felt the Lord say a couple things. I think he said there's a lot of old wineskins in here. There's a lot of old wineskins in here. And what he said to me is, we are trying to match our holiness with Jesus' holiness and keep them together. When Jesus is really saying, he's saying, get rid of your holiness. Go low. Be humbled. My holiness, my righteousness, my freedom, my grace, my everything of who I am, my fullness is all you need, church. It's all you need. So he's reaching out to you today. He's reaching out to you with the cup and saying, drink of me. Let me make you new. Let me make you a new wineskin. So as we jump into these last few worship songs, we're going to have a prayer team down here. I'll be down there. My wife will be down there. I know it's hard to get out of these rows, but if you want to come, let the presence of the Lord flow over you. <laughs> we would love to pray for you. We would love for you to become a new wineskin and experience the new wine without the old taking it away. That's great. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that we can worship you. Thank you that we can seek you with everything we have. We come before you. We honor you. We sit at your feet. Make us anew every day. Keep making us anew.